Hello and welcome to this episode. Just with Sean tonight uh, from Flyover Politics, a tilting at windmills episode of uh, Sean flying solo. It is uh, about 30, 40 minutes after the second presidential debate. Should have been the third, but uh, the first one was derailed by the president getting coronavirus. Um, Joe Biden and Donald Trump had a debate tonight, was moderated by Kristen Welker. Uh, and a general overview of the debate, from my opinion, um, is that Joe Biden won. Not like last time where Donald Trump kind of shot himself in both feet. Uh, generally, Joe Biden stuck uh, points better. Uh, Donald Trump straight up lied and obfuscated about almost every single topic. Uh, Joe Biden just did a better job staying on message. Now, I don't particularly care for most of Joe Biden's message, um, but he did a better job. And in terms of making a case for who deserves to be president, I think Joe Biden um, made a better case tonight than than Donald Trump did. That's partly probably my personal bias of being a flat-out hater of the president, but uh, there it goes. I'm also not a big fan of Joe Biden. But uh, he stands... Some of the things that were discussed tonight ranged from coronavirus uh, uh, response, what Joe Biden would do differently, taxes, Trump's secret uh, Chinese bank account. We talked. They talked about the environment real quick. It was given about uh, a few minutes at the very, very end. It was almost an afterthought. And my general feeling, uh, while Christian Welker did a fantastic job of moderating tonight. Uh, there was a mute button used so that uh, each each uh, person could get their two minutes uninterrupted and unheckled. Um, I, f- I just left feeling we didn't get much by in terms of details. We didn't get much more than what you would get off of a generic website or what Trump says when he walks out to the to Marine One. Or what Joe Biden says in a stump speech. And and it's hard to really get to the heart of a matter when you just give enough time to regurgitate regurgitate your talking points. It's like going on to, you know, uh, cable news. You you're not on there to have a deep seated discussion about, you know, policy or the knock-on ramifications of a certain action you're there to spew your talking points and do it in a more forceful way uh than anybody else or you're there to get your shiv out and stick it in the other guy and then go to commercial break that's the function of those uh, uh cable news segments and it gets ratings it gets clicks it gets views but when it comes to a presidential debate it the public, I feel, would be better served having a format. It's a long-term format where it's just two people talking about climate change for an hour and a half and then moving maybe the next week to another topic and the next week to another topic and having multiple long-form uh, conversations in which you really get into does this person understand uh, these concepts or even if you can tell they don't, uh, does their team understand the concept afterwards? Like when they send their team out to, to do long-term interviews also, does their team understand the concepts? Because at some point you got to recognize that the, the president should be a jack-of-all-trades 
uh, or Jill of all trades, should be a person with a, a good amount of knowledge about a lot of different things, but they're not going to be the end-all, be-all. They're not going to be... That's why you need people like Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, uh, that understand epidemiology, that understand virology, that understand um, how a society should combat infectious diseases right like that that person is going to be intimate with things you didn't even know were that existed and you call upon them to aid you in your decision making and we're just not really getting that we're we're getting the game and i found that exceedingly frustrating i find that exceedingly frustrating i know it's not going to change um yeah, there is no real news here. I'm going over my notes right now. I took a, a, a few notes. Some of the, the real highlights from the evening that you'll see on the news tomorrow was uh, Trump says that he only paid $750 as a filing fee for the last few years. He actually prepaid his taxes. Um, that just strikes me as complete bullshit. Um, Biden was getting hit by Trump on Ukraine, which was what Trump got impeached for, um, abusing his power to go after Joe Biden via uh, the president of Ukraine, holding up aid to the to the president of Ukraine while he was fighting uh, Russians invading his country. The There were a few things back and forth on uh, COVID. Joe Biden made a very uh, or a relatively good case on on how he would tackle coronavirus much better than Trump has. Listen to science, listen to experts. There's a little bit on the green green energy. Uh, Trump said that windmills yet again windmills kill a lot of birds. Joe he tried to hammer Joe Biden saying that Joe Biden wants to ban fracking. Joe Biden, Joe Biden says that he does not want to ban fracking. Um Basically, they seemed with the fracking to be fighting over Pennsylvania. Neither one of them wants to take away uh, a significant amount of Pennsylvania's uh, oil income, but they're not offering a better view of the future, a better version of the future. And Joe Biden does have a plan that was uh, endorsed by the Sunrise Project. Um, it isn't the Green New Deal. It doesn't fold in jobs as much. But it is a better plan. Uh, he says he wants to get back into the Paris Agreement. And then the major clip that will come out of that is that uh, Donald Trump called uh, China, India, and Russia filthy countries. Uh, probably referring to their um, uh, use of fossil fuels and their lack of ability to jump from a, a lightly industrialized countries straight into the green energy era. There's a transition that typically happens and, and has historically happened of every country that is industrializing, of utilizing fossil fuels to fuel, literally fuel that industrialization. And we are asking countries to skip that phase that we were able to, uh, and almost all of Europe was able to enjoy. Uh, cheap, readily available fuel for uh, industrialization of those countries. And um, they aren't because they need to take care of some of their national interests too. But instead of leading, instead of America uh, 
helping provide that infrastructure, we're burying our heads in the sand too and calling them filthy for it, doing the exact same thing that that we did. By the way, China is really working extraordinarily hard uh, to develop a better green infrastructure. Um, they've taken some pretty drastic measures because some of their air over the last 15, 20 years uh, was uh, unbreathable, almost unbreathable, I should say. And they were hit pretty hard. And one of the constant themes of the evening was that China was to blame. Whether it's uh, election interfering, China was to blame. Trade imbalance, China was to blame. Coronavirus, China was to blame. Uh, anytime Trump is being treated unfairly, China's somehow to blame. Uh, the reason that we can't get off of oil, China's to blame. Uh, uh, almost everything is China was to blame. And it struck me as an... Uh, an insanely easy scapegoat and a scary thing to think about that it's that easy to just deflect the failings of our domestic policy onto China and that it is an accepted way of deflecting the frustration of, of Americans off onto a foreign actor. It's an otherizing and we should all be wary of that. Now, um, when it comes to to aggression on Taiwan or Hong Kong? Can we blame China? Yep. <laughs> but when it comes to uh, our trade imbalance, we buy a lot of things from China. That's where it's made. And if we want to actually correct that, we need to correct it uh, with trade policy. We can't bl just blame China. We're part of that cycle too. And so I want to put that in perspective as well. If you watch the the debates, if not, good for you. You didn't you didn't miss much except for uh, rhetoric. Um, but but two main things really struck at me, um, and I want to hit kind of the the lighter one first. The first was Trump's adamant refusal to take any responsibility for coronavirus. He said something almost literally to the effect of, I take responsibility, but China's to blame, in literally the same sentence, in the same breath, and could not, could not admit that anything was wrong, refused to say that we should protect our citizens, and again and again and again focused on reopening the economy, and it is to the detriment of his voters, Right? we are looking at red states versus blue states in terms of uh, rising coronavirus numbers. And while there are some blue states like California that is extremely populous, most of the worst sites for coronavirus in this country in terms of cases per 100,000 residents are in Republican-controlled states where they are trying to please the president which disproportionately affects his voters. And these are people who look up to the president for guidance, and he's deliberately choosing to sacrifice them so that he can say that the economy is coming back, so that the economy doesn't get trashed. And it's the, that is the antithesis of leadership because all the great leaders throughout our history, human history, have always faced adversity by confronting it head on and convincing people that they're the ones to lead them through it. They're not sugarcoating it. They'll tell you exactly how it is. 
and ask you to help them move forward through it. Because it's the only way we can do it. I believe in the power of solidarity. And I believe that if you'd act, he could have earned some points here if he would have faced up to this like he knew in February, probably January even before, that it was airborne, it was dangerous, it was lethal, and there are things that we could do to combat it, like asking everyone to wear a mask. And he hit Dr. Fauci yet again, saying Dr. Fauci said we didn't need to wear a mask. What he was referring to was N95 masks being for doctors and nurses. It, the, this is the kind of antithesis of leadership, of pushing off and obfuscating the problem to your country that causes your own public to fight amongst itself over partisan lines because some support the president and some don't. When it could have been a clear concise message from the experts that could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives by the time this is over. And I looked at uh, examples of a country that is socially uh, um, okay with wearing masks. I was over in Japan uh, to visit my aunt and uh, my uncle had a cold and this is in the 90s, and before he left the house, he put on a mask because that's the polite thing to do if you still have to go out to protect your neighbors from getting whatever you have. It's a polite thing to do. It's a generally accepted and appreciated thing about Japanese culture that I didn't appreciate until now. And Japan, a country of 125-plus million people, has r roughly the same, and by roughly I mean like 1,640-ish cases by today's count, as Iowa, who has 3.1 million in a predominantly rural setting. Well, not predominantly. There are some larger cities in Iowa. Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, Dubuque, Davenport. And we have 1,550 Yesterday, 31 people died of COVID in Iowa. Yesterday, three people died of COVID in Japan. They have 125 plus million people. We have 3.1 million people. That is, the, that is the difference that could have been made in America. That's the difference that could have been made if this was confronted head on and if Americans were asked to face this together and protect our communities and show a little bit of fucking solidarity with one another. But they weren't. And the president fought it. And the president lied about it. And now 230,000 Americans are dead. And a thousand more are dying a day. There, there are 23 states that have, quote, unchecked spread of coronavirus. It was preventable. It was always preventable. And it is five weeks away from being done. That's all. But they're refusing to say more new lockdowns. They're trying to smash Joe Biden for even thinking about lockdowns if he becomes president because they want to use it as a partisan divide because they've convinced people that lockdowns are infringement upon their liberty rather than asking them to show a little bit of fucking solidarity and provide them the economic wherewithal to engage with that lockdown 
by asking people to stay at home, by asking people to work from home, by asking people to take the government stimulus to ensure that they can keep their community safe. That is that is not a thing that the Republican Party can fathom. It's not something that their ideology can accept. And is part of the reason that this, this manifestation of the Republican Party, this GOP, this manifestation of conservatism in America is fucking insane. And half the Democratic Party wants to go after uh, Republican voters to build their coalition around people who are slightly disaffected from the way Donald Trump talks about things in tweets. Hopefully they can bring him over to the Democratic Party. Project Lincoln is welcome with open arms. Steve Kasich, or uh, uh, John Kasich is... uh, welcomed with open arms they're not your friend they're not unless you are a multimillionaire banker or wall street hedge fund manager they're not your fucking friend don't ever think anything otherwise it's a class warfare and we're losing and the the thing that has as i was kind of going over this debate tonight in my head uh, I was having a hard time with the general uh, debate format, the the shit that Donald Trump was spewing, the shit that Joe Biden was saying. It just didn't match up with my view of the world. And there was one thing that was the starkest difference between them. And that's when it came to immigration. There was a report the other day that 525 kids have been stolen by ICE, and they have yet to be reunited with their families. Can't find their families. It is unconscionable the way that the press has treated this. It is unconscionable the way that the administration enacted a zero-tolerance family separation policy at the highest levels on the direction of the president. And Jeff Sessions... And Rod Rosenstein, Rod Rosenstein, enacted it. They deliberately told everyone to go and prosecute families. And when two cases weren't were not prosecuted, Rod Rosenstein went a step further and told them they should have prosecuted those cases. And we are not to take any exception because the the babies that were separated from their mothers and their families were infants. That's America right now. That's the policy of the United States of America when someone shows up on our borders asking for our help, fleeing violence and oppression. That's the treatment they got under this president. That was our policy. There are still people locked up from our zero tolerance policy. And then when when it came to, air quotes, catch and release programs, what that was was someone coming to the States who, after being arrested for illegally entering the country, was let go either under regular check-ins and supervision by ICE or by an ankle monitor to ensure their whereabouts uh, were known. And they had a court date set to adjudicate whether their uh, uh, asylum claim was credible. There is a process. There is a process. 
Not there was a process. There is a process by which you could go through this. And this is what predominantly the Obama administration went through. And before any of you that are listening saying, Obama did it too. They did separate families when there was a credible worry that the child coming in with the adult was not related to the adult. And or when the adults committed a crime that required separation. Right? So then it's down to the to the sector that border like border patrol sector or the ICE agent or whomever on a local level to exercise exercise their judgment so that they have time to better determine what the status of the family is for the safety of the family or the safety of American citizens. This was a policy of the United States of America that every family gets separated to deter more families from coming. So they tried to race the cartels. They tried to race they tried to race uh, military juntas. They tried to they tried to race corrupt cops and militaries and dictators to the bottom for who could treat these people worse so that it is more more it is favorable for those people who are looking at a 2000 mile march up to Texas or Arizona or New Mexico or California it would be more favorable to those people to stay in those conditions than risk being separated from their families in America that's what they were trying to do the United States of America was trying to race those people to the bottom for how to treat those people. Those those dictators for how to treat their their people. And I, I find that utterly inexcusable. Ever. From anyone. And if you're listening to this waffling like whether voting or not is up to you. Because you can't tell the difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I just gave it to you. If that's what Donald Trump does in his first term, what's he going to do in his second term? He still has Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller used to work for Jeff Sessions and went to go work for Donald Trump before he came into the White House and is almost the only person who has stuck it out because he is a Trump acolyte and Trump listens to him. And Stephen Miller channels an inner hate of anything not white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. There is no both sides to this. There is no Obama did it too. That is bullshit. And as far as the catch and release program, 86% of family units and 81% of non-family units showed up for their court dates. The other remaining uh, was 14% and 19% didn't show up. They may have left on their own. They may have skipped town. I don't know. And for asylum seekers, 96% showed up to their court dates on the catch and release program. So the worry that you're letting people through that are posing a danger to society, these are people that want to come to America. They want to engage in the process that is there. What the Trump administration is trying to do is stop those people from engaging in the process that is there to help them become members of our society because they don't want them to be members of our society they're human beings they deserve our love they deserve our help now the those of those people that are pushed even further out to more extreme circumstances so that their family unit 
isn't rounded up by ICE, isn't rounded up by Border Patrol. They go further and further into more dangerous places. Some of you may recall a picture of Oscar Alberto Martinez and his daughter Angie Valeria uh, who were found face down in the Rio Grande. That, that's what we're forcing people to endure to come to America. A man wants to make a better life for his 23-month-old daughter and we force him to risk his and his daughter's life to come into our country. It's insane. It's insane. And we're better than that. And Joe Biden did a decent job of pointing that out by hitting Trump on 525 kids and then tying it to the Republicans. The Republican Party um, supports this. This is born out of the Republican Party. Trump is, is a manifestation of them. He channels the worst parts of them and they can't escape it because that is their end goal. He's just saying it in a crass way. He's executing it in a crass way. But that is their end goal. The people who are supporting him now in his cabinet, in his administration, they're Republicans. It's not they're not Trumpists. They might have like some Trump ideology to them, but they're Republicans. So I, I I don't see both sides to this. I don't I don't have a an easy time in sitting here and listening to well there are good Republicans. No, this is what your party is doing. Look at what your party is doing. Ah, oh, there's some good Republicans out there. I, I I just don't see it. I don't see the redeeming qualities of this current manifestation of the Republican Party. There are some never Trumpers out there. But by and large, a lot of the policy that we're seeing out of the Trump are policies that are coming from the Republicans. The Republicans are still trying to go after Obamacare. There's a court date set for the week uh, at the Supreme Court. There's a hearing set for the week after the election where the Obamacare case is another, another Obamacare case is going to be decided for whether the entire thing is constitutional. They're chipping away at Obamacare bit by bit. And they couldn't pass their own bills. And I do say bills because when they rushed through, they convinced America that they were offering something better in with uh, health care, that Trump was going to provide something better. And then in 2017, they were trying to ram a bunch of health care bills down uh, uh, everyone's throat. And then 2018, they did the same thing. And then they lost their ass in 2018 with one of the biggest landslides in modern day history because their healthcare plans were so terrible. And this goes back to Adam and my discussion about the Supreme Court last week that when they fail at passing their policies via the legislative branch, they have gone to the judicial branch, which is why Amy Coney Barrett is so important to them, which is why there are hundreds of judges they put on uh, uh, in the judicial branch are so important to them. There was another 33-year-old today that was confirmed after being the 10th judge to be deemed unqualified by the American Bar Association. Why would they be putting these people up? I'll tell you why. Because they know how they're going to vote, and they're 33 years old, so they're going to be there 
longer than I'm alive. I'm 33. They'll be there forever. The ideology of those judges supports these outcomes that they can't attain through the legislative branch because it's so unpopular. So, I, I don't even know where to go from there. If you're, if you're still looking at this as a lesser of two evils, there certainly is a lesser of two evils, and it's Joe Biden. If you're looking at this as they're both the same, you're wrong. If you're looking at this as Sean being completely unfair to Republicans, you're wrong. If you're looking at this as me over overblowing what I just said about Republicans, you're wrong. Um, I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, leave me a, a, a little voicemail at anchor.fm slash flyoverpolitics. We'll leave a, a, a link there. But, you know, the more and more I see these two go back and forth, the, the more and more my hope starts getting dashed. The things they choose to focus on, the, the fights they choose to have, the whistling through the graveyard on things that are disgusting that our government is doing disgusting things and it doesn't seem to resonate with the American people that it is a reprehensible act and a stain on all of us we need to be better to other human beings. We need to be better to our loved ones. We need to be better to the strangers. We need to be better to non-Americans. We need to be better to Americans. We need to be better to poor people. We need to be better to asylees. It's not a question of whether we can or can't take. Of course we can take care of them. Of course they can come here. Of course we have room. It's whether we choose to allow them through the border. It's whether we choose to make them a part of our society. It's whether we choose to live up to our ideals. It's whether we choose to look at the Statue of Liberty and enact those values. Right now, we're just not choosing it because we're choosing to be scared. We're choosing to be afraid. We're choosing to allow the otherization of all of those people to live in our hearts. It's awful. It's awful. And that's what I left this debate thinking about. So Adam and I will be on election night for sure. Not certain uh, he's on vacation at the moment. Not certain when he'll be back. But uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at, at FlyoverSean. Adam is at AdamUIowa. Uh, and this is uh, another episode of Tilting at Windmills from Flyover Politics. Think for yourself. <laughs>